I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way. That's when Red Sox they just on rock. I'm a member of the Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family wherever I roam. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB wide hot stove for everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope. The podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and literally 20 other places on Google, so just search for us anywhere, and uh, we're pretty widely available. If you do want to help us out, do us a huge favor. Give us a five-star review and uh, type in a few words on uh, iTunes, and that drastically improves our visibility. Literally nothing you do could help us out more than that, so we would definitely appreciate it. I am Terry Cushman, and as always, I am joined by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville. How are you? I'm doing okay. Pretty good, considering the Rays lost one of their best rookies, but you know, got a deal. <laughs> they certainly did. They did gain uh, Yandy double, double, Diaz. Double Rays. Double Rays. <laughs> ah, the Double Rays. So, yes. Yeah, no, they did. They did gain somebody who who could be very interesting, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Plenty to go over, and actually, uh, for the first time in quite a while, we do have a ton of uh, Red Sox topics to get into. So we will start out by probably the biggest news of the last uh, twenty four hours. Joe Kelly, who had been a hero in several different ways, uh, going back to the uh, Tyler Austin skirmish when the uh, benches cleared in the Yankees game last April, and then, of course, uh, pitching six scoreless innings in the World Series against the Dodgers. Uh, He will ironically be headed to the Dodgers on a... Uh, three-year deal worth $25 million, kind of the lower end of what uh, many of us might have expected. And this is only the second time in the history of Major League Baseball where a big-time player left the World Series winning team for the runner-up team. It happened in the 70s, and uh, the name of the player already escapes me, but... Uh, Kind of a weird, um, you know, chain of events anyway. Uh, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on uh, Kelly headed to the other coast? Um, 
thank you for your time. And I'm glad you got paid, Joe, because you're a real likable guy. Um, and I'm just glad the Red Sox didn't do it. <clears throat> I think my prediction when we were talking earlier uh, in the hot stove season was if we could get him for $5 million a year for two or three years, I would do it. And the natural reaction would be, um, well, then seven's not out of range. But at this, and and I under and I, I would understand that point. But my reaction when I heard this today was more relief than anything approaching, you know, being upset. As good as he was in the playoffs, and as likable as he is, and if you've seen some of his like spoof videos from last spring training, he's the guy is super likable, right? And he makes fun of himself, and he makes fun of the people around him, and everyone likes him, and and I and I'll miss that side of it. I won't miss uh, ball four, ball eight, ball twelve, like you know, um, he just would fr- he'd go into like two month breaks of throwing strikes, and and I've said. You know this phrase multiple times when talking about Joe Kelly. He would literally lose you games that you're winning, lose you games that you're winning, and and we've talked about the effect of the value of a player after a postseason, uh, a successful postseason versus what he is historically or what he was during the regular season, and we talked about it a lot with Avaldi after he signed last week. Joe Kelly falls in that category uh, as well. Um, electric fastball. Subpar strike thrower. Um, so I mean, I'm relieved. At if I could boil it down to one thought, I'm relieved that he is not coming back at the money. Um, I would just much rather them go get strike throwers. Um, and there's, by the way, there's plenty of people that can throw a plus fastball that can throw strikes. So Joe Kelly, great guy, great human being, very funny, great personality, uh, postseason hero, stunk. Last year, during the regular season, literally stunk. Terrible. Um, and if the Dodgers are going to pay him $7 million, God bless him for making as much money as he possibly can while he has the skill. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, I'm not too far off, really, uh, as much as you hate it when I agree with you. Um, but um, I, 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 I do hate that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to me, it was like – you know, it was like riding a roller coaster and it was really thrilling at times, but at times for whatever reason made me a little queasy and, uh, I'm ready to, you know, go ride something else, you know, and insert dick joke here, but yeah, Terry, Terry, <laughs> Terry, let's, let's keep the conversation centered about baseball. I, That's just frankly inappropriate. I, uh, yeah, I didn't, Hashtag me too. I didn't think it through. But when you look at his last season, I have some of the numbers right here. April and May, he was phenomenal. Probably the that was probably the best stretch he had ever had in his career. One seven four ERA. Then when June and July came around, he combined for an eight thirty five ERA. In the month of August, he seemingly recovered in pitch to a 1.42 ERA and then in September he fell off another cliff 8.31 ERA and his overall ERA on the year was uh 4.39 the th- I know and what's crazy to me is 
there were so many other options on the market. Probably they would have spent anywhere from two to six million a year annually on all those other options. And I mean, take Juris Familia, for example. He signed hours before Kelly, maybe even minutes before Kelly did, to a three-year, $30 million deal. Now, he's getting paid $2 million more a year. Same number of years. He's got a 2.66 career ERA and has pitched in a big market before. He's pitched basically all but a few months of his career in uh you know in queens so um i just i don't see how the dodgers they must have just got so enamored with him during that five game set we played with them because how can you look at joe kelly's full season and and not think someone like familia robertson Britton? Miller, all those guys are definitely far better value, I would say. And that that is confusing, especially when you add in the fact that Familia has closer type ability. Like they're just not even close to the same player, but yet the men the money and I mean someone someone's listening to this podcast and saying, Hey idiot, uh three million dollars a year is not a little bit it is in baseball. It is in baseball. Like three million is like, you know, 75 bucks to me and you. So, you know, he, he, that guy, that guy, and and they traded for, and I'm Diaz. Who's the, who's the new closer? Edwin Diaz. Am I getting the name wrong? No, you got it. Edwin Diaz. So they have an elite guy who like was a sub two last year, electric guy. I think he led the league in saves. So, but you can't discount the fact that you have like basically a second closer in Familia. Like that guy's worth every bit of ten million dollars in my book. Joe, that that is not Joe Kelly. We, you know, and I'm enamored, and I've not been shy about it. I'm enamored by strike throwers, and the ability to put a guy in the game and know that if he's going to get beat, and everyone gets beat, it's baseball. Get beat by base hits. Don't beat yourself. Don't put yourself in a position where you're literally like, you don't even rely on the other team to beat you. You just beat yourself. Kelly does that. Familia doesn't. I mean, he's not perfect, but Familia has really good stuff. Closer type ability. That That is not Kelly. Kelly can't close because he can't throw strikes. Um, so, you know, Liz? <laughs> Not to, I'm, I'm, I just realized, by the way, that I have filled all the air in the room so far, so sorry. No, 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 no. I'm not even going to pretend to know very much about Joe Kelly. Um, I mean, I, I can't say that, that I have any strong opinion necessarily on him, aside from just looking at his stats like right now, honestly. But what, what it made me think of just listening to you guys talk and, and everything and looking at the numbers and looking at, you know, like you were saying, what was still, or what Terry was saying, what's still on the table, you know, uh, potentially uh, for teams to sign. Does it does it seem almost like the year of the mediocre player to you guys? Like all these seemingly better options are still kind of out there, but teams are opting to maybe pay a little bit more for not horrible players by any means, but, you know, somewhat 
average mediocre like uh like i like i know uh i saw terry put out a little preview of what we were going to be talking about today and he mentioned uh although it's not on the docket uh andrew mccutcheon and the money that he got from the phillies and that's surprising to me as well that he would get uh that he would get that kind of money and you know kutch isn't horrible but he's certainly not you know the best and then in this case like kelly he's not horrible but you know he's maybe not worth that money where other pitchers are worth, you know, similar money, but better or maybe a little bit more. And they were better. I, I, I don't know. It just seems like the, the market is being, uh, I don't know. It's just different than, than maybe it normally is well, players that I would have thought maybe would have been snapped up maybe a little quicker, you know, by these teams that just have, that have the, the cash flow, you know, aren't, aren't, uh, you know, getting taken where others, you know, like him are being, you know, are being taken for, for prices like that. It's but, like all the, but, uh, it's like all the other GMs are treating, um, the winter meetings, like, like they're going to a thrift store. Basically all the big fish are still out there and they're just, mm-hmm. they're just making the smaller moves. Out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, well I mean, or go I, ahead. I mean, I saw, sorry, sorry. I saw like, uh, uh, what did I see? Was it the Yankees are calling Harper's bluff? Somebody's bluff. I don't know. Somebody's bluffs being called on the Harper and Machado. Cause obviously those are the two biggest fish that are out there, uh, right now. And, you know, maybe in some strange way, you know, there's all the managers were kind of like, eh, you know, particularly after Harper turned down, you know, the 300 million tenure from the nationals, you know, they all kind of said, you know, let's just wait it out. Or maybe they're just all playing a game of chicken, you know, with one another almost in a way. And so they're they're kind of, uh, you know, going for these middle of the road, but paying a little bit more, you know, players. I don't I don't know. It, it seems like a different sort of situation than than other years to me. So I'd, I'd like to just weigh in on that list because I think it's an astute observation um, in the in the, you know, where there's mediocre. Uh, mediocre free agency talent available. I'm not surprised Joe Kelly was one of the first relievers off the board, um, even though I consider him to be like a middle, you know, middling type, at least production wise, because his upside is off the charts. And you just saw his upside. Like mm-hmm. dominant, you know, tough as nails, not the moment's not too big, you know. Guys, I can go 101, 102, you know, and if if he can throw that for a strike with anything resembling a second pitch, his upside's off the charts. I mean, he could be a closer if he could throw strikes, but he can't. So when you're looking at a pool of relievers that just, you know, don't have the significant track record of like a guy like, you know, I don't know, Chapman or, or, um, you know, some of these, uh, Andrew Miller, who's a little bit longer in the tooth, you're going to look at a guy, the Dodgers looked at a guy like Joe Kelly and they go, if we get what, what we saw in the World Series in that playoff run, this guy is going to be a Swiss Army knife. He's a guy you can bring in in a tough spot, you know, one out, bases chucked. This guy can get you a strikeout. And so they viewed him as a $7 million a year player. And they, by the way, they may be right. Maybe he turns this playoff run into a dominant three, four uh, years where where he is uh, one of the better, you know, um, 
six, seven, eight inning relievers in baseball. I mean, that's probably what they say. I see. Here's one of the things I wanted to touch on, and I, I've kind of mentioned it before, but it seems like whenever the Red Sox tried to give Joe Kelly the eighth inning, he fell off the cliff shortly thereafter. It, it was only a matter of days or a couple of weeks, and then it, it was back to the drawing board, and they just spent you know, literally weeks or months trying to get him right again, you know, and then he'd creep back up to a higher leverage, you know, role in the bullpen and and same thing again. And Joe Kelly, his most optimal performances will come mostly in situational type areas where, you know, and and hopefully not in back-to-back days because there were stats that I saw last season that that showed what he looked like in back-to-back days, and then what he looked like with a day off in between, and the difference was drastic. And I think I that just suits him well. And when you do give him that eighth inning, something happens in his in his mind, and he just he can't locate anymore and he gets knocked around quite a bit. And the Dodgers have already said he's going to be the eighth inning guy before Kenley Jansen comes out in the ninth. And I just think, I just think they have no idea what they're in for. And, you know, the Red Sox probably would have, you know, they probably would have put a plan in place for him to, you know, pitch in, in those spots, but but I don't think the Dodgers are going to be smart enough to figure that out, and it it's got all the potential to be a total disaster out there. And we don't stay up that late, you know, unless we're recording a podcast. So, you know, we'll probably do more reading about it than uh, actually seeing it. But I I don't I, I don't think it's going to go too well for him. I, I do think that he will kind of blow that eighth inning role. Like he's not consistent enough to be the eighth inning guy, but he's proven that he can find a role for himself and like, they'll realize it. They'll move away from him in the eighth inning and they'll put him in spots, sixth, seventh inning, you know, fifth inning, uh, days, the fifth starter pitches, like just like the Red Sox did. And I, you know, he, I don't know at the end of the day that he's going to be so consistent to be like a quote unquote pencil it in eighth inning guy, but he'll be a weapon for them, especially in the moments where he's on the problem is going to be, there's going to be maybe months where he's not. Yeah. And I mean, we had the luxury of winning all those games, so we got away with it, but will they, you know, will the Rockies be competitive this year? I don't think the diamondbacks will be probably not the giants. So, you know, who does that leave? The Padres? I, I guess the Dodgers are, are kind of fortunate that nobody else is really in a position to win right now. So maybe they'll have the same stroke of luck we had. But, you know, if he's on the Indians or the Cubs, any of the NL Central teams that need their bullpens to, to be solid because it's going to be an intense division race, then... You know, that's 
it would, it, you know, it'd be a lot worse. So uh, I wish him well. I'm not, and just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, you know, wishing any ill will towards him. I enjoyed him very much. You mentioned the spring training shenanigans last year when he kind of took on that Jim Buchanan persona. And I remember listening uh, on my way home one night. I was driving home from somewhere at like 10 p.m. at night and uh, not Maloney, uh, Mike Matnansky and Rob Bradford were just kind of killing time. It was an off night, I think. Oh, no, it had to have been spring training, so... Uh, and they were saying how there was this crazy reporter that day just acting really weird along the baselines, and he was actually throwing stuff on the field and got escorted out, and nobody knew at that time yet that it was really Joe Kelly. So it was just, I don't know. I really enjoyed that. And there were other things, too, where there was one point last season, I don't know if they didn't really make a big deal out of it, but Joe Kelly had every pitcher in the bullpen bring like one of their childhood like I don't know if it was like their seventh grade picture but it was one of their school pictures everybody had to bring one in and they taped it to where they sat in the bullpen so that was like the theme for that day or that week or whatever and that was Joe Kelly and so there's going to be a huge presence in the clubhouse that's not going to be there next year so you know, I'm sure he's going to be missed, and I hope he does well, but he's extremely finicky, as I've been pointing out the last several minutes here. And, uh, you know, and if if he ends up being one of the more dominant eighth-inning guys next year, more power to him. Yeah, um, I mean, it sucks when we agree because it kind of sucks the fun out of it, but... I think we're in agreement here, you know. Um, so, one thing I just wanted to mention briefly: you mentioned um, Jim Buchanan, and that that video, Liz, if you haven't seen it, it's it's hilarious. Like somehow he gets like a fake credential from Nesson, and he's on the field, and they're like trying to get him off because he's being like kind of weird and like awkward and everything. And he picks up a baseball and throws it from like the dugout over the center field fence, and the the looks on like the faces of the of the players are like, who the fuck is this guy? And obviously, it's you know we know watching the video, it's Kelly, but it's uh-huh. a really really funny like four and a half minute video. Uh-huh. The, 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 here's some of the thing that that Terry and I in the last few days have been kind of chirping at each other with with text messages, Twitter, and and phone calls. The, this whole notion that the Red Sox have basically identified Porcello, Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., Leon, Vasquez, and Swihart as available. Um, to me, it's a little bit confusing for, for two reasons, and it makes sense for two reasons. So it makes sense with the catchers to me because you, it just it's an eyesore – to have three catchers like i think we were the only big league club that did it for the far majority of the year and i and i think it takes an arm out of the bullpen or it, it limits your of it your flexibility with just position players and it just never made sense of course they go ahead and win 108 games and win the world series so i'm wrong uh cora and dombrowski's right but i don't feel like they need to do that another year the second thing that makes sense to me is porcello 
if you can get an asset for Porcello and you have no plans to re-sign him, like I have no problem with that because they basically at this point have eight starting pitchers. Um, now, with that said, I don't. Th- I think you use Porcello's contract year as a mo- like he's going to be motivated and he's so reliable as like a two. Where we talked uh, last week on the midweek podcast about how the 200 innings guy is dying off in baseball. Well, Porcello's still that guy, and it's just immensely important to have an innings eater on your roster coming off a long playoff run with guys that have question marks, Avaldi, potential elbow guy, Price, potential anything guy, Sale, he's got a shoulder issue. So you have a guy as consistent as Porcello. It just seems to me to be a complete waste to get rid of him unless it's for uh, potentially like two bullpen guys. Like it has to be an, an addition on the part of the roster that you really need. And this roster is so stacked that it just doesn't make sense unless you can get two quality bullpen guys. So I like Porcello. Where it doesn't make any sense is up the middle. You can't possibly be considering moving JBJ and Bogarts. And I understand they're both coming up on contract years, and I understand that you're not going to sign both of them. But this team's loaded to win another World Series. And in a, you know, in football, you build from the offensive defensive lines out. Like it's 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 well known that that's how you build strong teams that last, you know, multiple seasons. And in baseball, the same principle applies, but it's up the middle. So we've already talked about the catchers. You have to be strong up the middle at short, second, and center. And we already Terry already touched on the fact that at second base with the little leader maybe coming back, maybe not, could be Nunez. Like, there's too many question marks at second to then tear up center field and shortstop. So to me, it just makes no sense. Both guys are under contract or are under arbitration availability for two years. So I don't see that happening. Um, you know, so that's where I'm at with that. I, I personally think you you go Swihart and get a reliever with Swihart. And you leave the rest of the roster alone because we really can win another World Series with the way the roster is built. Well, Bogarts actually, I don't know if we're on the same page there, but he's actually a free agent after this coming season, as is Porcello. Bradley does have two years remaining. And uh, J.D. Martinez, also potentially a free agent if he opts out. I don't see why he won't, really. Um, and of course, Chris Sale. Um, those comments were interesting. And with Porcello, the only thing that makes sense is that maybe we get a top six through ten prospect from whatever team it is, because they're not going to deal us any major league pieces if they're acquiring a guy who only has one year of availability, because. You know, they're going to need all their other starting pitchers. They probably need their bullpen guys because they're going for it. And where do we need, if if Porcello's the only guy getting traded, where is our area of need? Obviously second base, but we're not going to touch it because we're not resigned to the fact, or at least the team isn't, that Pedroia, you know, isn't done yet. So that area can't really be filled. And under this scenario, we keep... Bogarts, your outfield is set, first base is set, third, you know, we can't, you know, we're not going to acquire another catcher. So if we trade Porcello, only a top end, well, you know, a high to mid-level 
prospect, you know, makes sense. If you're trading Bogarts, okay, maybe a team might have a surplus of relievers or, or maybe a starter or whatever to deal for Bogarts if they need a shortstop or, or just kind of a, a boost in offense. I mean, he's at the very least a 2080 guy, you know, if he stays off the DL. So, and, and then finally with the catchers, who we trade, you know, obviously you would probably want to trade Leon, you know, because you, you know, you have plenty of upside with Swihart and Vasquez, but that ultimately depends on the dance partner. You know, if somebody's looking for a backup catcher, then yeah, Leon's the, you know, the, the perfect guy to trade. If it's the Marlins, the Orioles, uh, the Mariners now, a team that's looking at a long-term rebuild, I think Swihart still has four or five years of control left. So maybe he's the guy for them, you know, for a team looking for, you know, uh, you know, someone to have for a number of years as they do their rebuild. And then if somebody trades Vasquez and Jeremy, I hate to say it, I I don't think he's untouchable, but um, if he were to be dealt, it would be to a contending team that's, ready now because he can have a decent year offensively not so much for power but season before last he he was hitting for contact pretty good for most of the season and you know still elite defense so like a team like the indians maybe the brewers um the dodgers haven't replaced grandall that i know of a team like that might be willing to um, you know, pursue Vasquez, and I think we could get something decent in return for him. But, but whichever catcher that does get dealt, and one of them will be, it's just a matter of days or weeks. It just depends on the dance partner and you know what their current uh, situation is. So yeah, I, I I agree. I I mean, obviously, you said you brought me into that conversation because you know how strongly I feel about Vasquez compared to Leon. Um, Leon stinks offensively. He's just an absolute train wreck. The thing with the thing why I, I, I think it's going to be Swihart is he's, um, he is a ton of upside and it doesn't have to be a catcher and he's not going to cost you an immediate pay increase with arbitration. Cause he hasn't had any like real success. I mean, everyone agrees he's talented, but like he's not coming off a 20 home run season where his arbitration number is going to be six and a half. It's not. I mean, he's going to be a low end value guy with a ton of upside. And maybe towards if you if you trade him and he has a good year, his arbitration number goes up in the in, in the next couple of years. But in the very near future, I mean, he's basically like on the you know the quote unquote rookie contract. So that's why I think it's wired. Look, they committed to Vasquez. Um, and Vasquez gives you the, he is the most well-rounded catcher on your roster. And I understand that sale isn't, doesn't want to throw to him. And Porcello did in the playoffs, but I understand that Porcello prefers Leon. He's still your most like, well, it's not even close. He's your, he's your best, most well-rounded catcher on the roster. And I don't know that a version of trading him makes you better for a team that again is looking to repeat. The reason why I didn't bring up JD is because I really feel strongly that by the time we get to pitchers and catchers, they're going to extend JD or add 
money to his AAV and buy out that option year. You're crazy, Dombrowski, if you let this guy go to that opt-out. Like, this isn't David Price, okay? This isn't, like, career loser in big moments, David Price. This is a guy who's an MVP candidate. That Everyone in that clubhouse loves him. Like, everyone that, like, busts out of a slump, like, all year long is like, well, I talked to JD and he saw something in my swing. So, I mean, he's just, he's a, you know, he's an unbelievable teammate. He hits to all sides. He hits for power. He's an on-base guy. He's an OBP guy. If you let him get to that opt-out, you're out of your goddamn mind. Um, and then the other thing on um, the Bogarts, Terry, I could hear the twinkle in your eye when you caught me uh, with the wrong information on his <laughs> no. contract. That's the last thing I'll say. But you, you no. as soon as as soon as you said it, I go, oh god damn it, Terry loves that. It, so, yeah, I made a mistake. I, you know, and, I, and as I was saying it, I I had like a, I was like, God, I think I'm wrong on Bogarts, but I just kind of went with it, and I, I literally could hear you like perk up in your chair to call me uh, <laughs> no. call me out on that. I really didn't. But with that said, Bogarts is the guy to me where you know, look, everyone, you can't tamper, right? But if you're going to trade for Bogarts, you're going to get some indication whether he has any interest in re-signing. And that's where if you're the Mets or the Angels or some of these dumb franchises, if you can't sign Bogarts because he's a Boris guy, if you can if you can get a haul for him because I think he's your most valuable tradable asset, I just I'm so petrified of the Harper in Washington situation where you put your eggs in the oh he'll resign he likes it here basket and then he doesn't because he just wants to make the most money and I think that's what Bogarts is and that's why he hired Boris. Don't get caught with your pants down. Like if he's not coming back, go get a defensive shortstop that shores things up. Your offense rakes your defense your outfield is unbelievable uh you're gonna get a better year out of devers um if you know and if you do that um you know you're it 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 just makes the most sense because you can fill in holes you can get and again this team's minor league system stinks so you not only could you potentially fill in a major league hole like with a reliever but you could also start to restock the cupboard with a guy with Bogarts. If it's a city where Bogarts would give some sort of indication that he may be willing to re-sign. Now, with that said, and I've said it a million times, don't trade anybody. Load up. Go win another World Series. It's hard, though. You know, I mean, ideally, that's what we would do. And, but... There is no situation where you're going to get caught completely bare next year. Everyone else is still in the contract. Like Mookie's still a year away, JBJ is a year away. You know, they they just signed Evaldi, so really next year it's going to Porcello or Sale. We're going to get to Sale. Um, you're you, you're you're the Red Sox. You're going to have a you're going to sign a pitcher. You're going to sign probably. You're probably going to overpay AAV on sale and get him to a short-term deal. That's what I think. We'll get to that in a second. But everyone else is back. Like Vasquez is still has two years left. You still have a young guy at Devers. Like uh, second base could be an issue, but you're you're always going to you, you know they did such a great job of filling that in. First base, they got guys coming up. Uh, Sam Travis, some other guys that could play first in a year or two. Like 
if you go all in and and do happen to have the Bogarts, you know, Harper and Washington situation happen, it's not so bare around the board that that's going to pre- prevent you from being a contender in 2020. And that's why I say, like, you're that good. Load up and go. Yeah, I, I kind of – you can't take the chance of letting everybody walk. I mean – you know, inevitably, one or two of these guys will walk, but our farm just isn't that great. And if Bogarts is the guy that can bring in a bit of a haul, I'm kind of willing to, you know, take a temporary step back in that position so long as someone that we, you know, we get back in that trade is, you know, has a lot of potential, whether that's a pitcher, another infielder, or whatever. And I'm I'm trying to be open minded here, and the odds are is it's you know, nobody's won back to back since the '90s, <laughs> so you know I kind of have that in the back of my mind, and you know I want to they you know there's all this talk about the window, the window's closing, the window's closing, and Dombrowski kind of you know denied that this week and. And whatnot, and just I don't want to get too much into this, but on the last show I mentioned Zach Grinky and maybe maybe bringing him in, you know, and Porcello would be a great guy to put in that deal because it offsets the money, and then it gives Arizona another guy to possibly flip at some point in the summer, and then they can get a prospect for Porcello. And by bringing in a Grinky type guy, and it doesn't have to be Grinky, but he does happen to have three years of control and with those three years you have Evaldi for another four years whether I like him or not he's here for another four years uh, Rodriguez here another three or four years Price is here for another four years so you'd have four guys that you have semi long term so whether whether Bogarts gets you not necessarily Grinky but another pitcher to help extend the window, I just I would rather do that. And we've seen the Indians rather brilliantly make some moves in in the last week and a half or so that are kind of putting themselves in that position to avoid the you know the one or two year retooling period you know, to do whatever. So just some moves might have to happen that aren't popular. And I don't know who's going to be involved in it, but to me, if it's Bogart, so be it. He's got one year left and we're going to get nothing for him. You know, if, if we don't do anything and he is the type of guy that I don't think we will resign. Cause I think at a minimum, he's going to get Eric Hosmer money, which is, Seven years, hundred and forty million, and JD is potentially going to be a free agent if if he's not extended, uh, you know, before the end of next season. And I'd probably rather give him, you know, a, a five or six year deal at high annual value. I don't think he'll get more than six years, but and you mentioned one other thing too with him. Maybe they do extend him because maybe Boris. Uh, we don't know what's going on with him and Harper right now, but if there's a sense in the Boris camp that it's going to be extremely challenging to get Bryce Harper that mega deal that's been hyped for the last two or three years, maybe he'll have second thoughts on. JD and and he'll say you know what 
if the Red Sox are willing to go 150 or 180, you know, over six years, then, you know, maybe we'll do that at this point. And then the other thing, too, is if he elects not to do that, he's also got Paul Goldschmidt that he'll kind of be, you know, competing with, you know, for a big contract at the end of next year. Because I, I don't believe he will sign uh, early with the Cardinals. He's going to go to free agency. So there's a lot of moving parts in play here, but I just want to be open-minded. <laughs> and if a move happens, then, you know, so be it. Maybe if Bogarts does get dealt, maybe you go find your the next Ian Kinsler, the comparable guy to him to stick at shortstop there or whatever. All right. The the biggest difference is with the you know getting caught with expiring deals in the Harper situation, Washington was out of it. There was no reason for them to to sit there and hold on to Bryce Harper. They were not. They were clearly out of it by the time the deadline came around. And if you recall, like literally on the eve of the deadline, all of a sudden they tried to jump in the mix. They the team account. Uh, or I'm sorry, the team leaked some information to beat reporters to tweet it out and get like, you know, it was so they were so clearly trying to get the temperature of the fan base and the fan base reacted negatively, but they were out of it. They knew it. That's why they tried to jump in late. The Red Sox, if, if we get to August 1st and the Red Sox are seven games under 500 and, and the Yankees are on pace to win 105 games, sell every, sell all the expiring deals and get, Every prospect you can. I, I have no problem with that. But this team's stacked. They're absolutely fucking loaded. What? Like, I'm sorry. I'd rather lose for a year and win a and, and win a second World Series than you know be a contender for the next five years and not win one. Like this team's loaded. Go get it. And I know that there are going to be people that disagree with that. Terry's probably sitting up in his chair right now. <laughs> getting all excited to disagree with me but you you can't there's got to be some allocation to how loaded they are versus like getting caught at the end of the year with a bunch of expiring contracts it's not you, you don't always have to consider it a loss for nothing if that guy gives you a chance like does anyone consider not trading kelly a loss no they won a world series he pitched really well in the playoffs. No one's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they didn't trade Kelly last year and now we didn't get we got nothing for him." No, no one's saying that. And and I understand that these are bigger names, but if 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 Sales a, a questionable health risk and he can go out and pitch and he's, you know, taken maybe a start off once a month to stay healthy and you and you lose him for nothing, is that the worst thing? Like the clear indication is that his career is going to be relatively short from this point forward. Uh, Bogarts is the exception because Bogarts looks like he has 10 years left as an elite shortstop. So when we've already talked about his trade value, the guy we haven't talked about is JBJ. Um, for whatever reason, um, People love JBJ. I don't love JBJ. He was pulled into that Eck thing and there was a lot of details that involved Jackie Bradley Jr. that, to me, looked really poorly upon um, his character. 
and he's very likable in his interviews and he's soft spoken. And so I don't, I don't know what it is. I and mean, he's amazingly athletic for a baseball player and he makes a ton of plays. I, I don't need JBJ. Like that's the guy that, that I wouldn't mind flipping for a bullpen guy. And then finding another player either to play a corner outfield and move Mookie to center. But to me, like JBJ just, he, I mean, the fact that he won the ALCS MVP on three hits, it just to me is a microcosm of his career generally. Um, he just he does nothing for me. And there's a ton of athletes that could play center field and be really good defensively. So if there's one guy that I would put in this pool of players that we're talking about, I've already mentioned Swihart being kind of the lead guy. But outside of the catching situation, like, fine, JBJ, bye. I, I can deal with it. I can, I can move you to get – stronger in our weakest area and find someone else to play that spot yeah i i'm with you on that one um i i was pushing hard to trade him last year when he was hitting like a buck 40 for six weeks or whatever it was and he ended up coming around and you know he was killer defensively probably had one of his better defensive seasons but i i agree i mean he 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 seems to be valued like a lot by other teams. I mean, we were offered Yasiel Puig for him straight up. And if Puig wasn't a freak show, you know, I would have been all over for that. I love his talent. I just hate the, I hate the antics. And then that was, I think that was last season. And then we were also offered Edwin Encarnacion straight up for Bradley. And, And that's another guy I'd love to have because he absolutely rakes at Fenway and, and has for most of his career. And Dombrowski said no both times, and I was kind of surprised on the latter. But um, he does have two years left. Teams seem to value him. There are other teams, more so than others, that put a huge premium on defense. And, yeah, I would get him. And I did see a note from... Uh, John Heyman earlier that there was some brief talk between um, the Red Sox and the Diamondbacks on Bradley, but apparently it didn't go anywhere. And uh, I'd also like to add, though, that when these names were brought up uh, two days ago, let's say Thursday, so yeah, it was Tuesday, it's like Dombrowski really was just trying to see if it would generate any phone calls. He just wanted to see. Maybe he wasn't really that serious, or maybe he didn't have any intention of of moving him, any serious intention, but he just wanted to spark something. And the other interesting thing that was going on while he was kind of alluding to all of this was that he said they were more likely to sign a reliever, like a, a big-ticket reliever like Robertson, Miller, Britton, and, uh, rather than trade for one. And then the next day, no phone calls come on any of the catchers or Bogarts, Porcello, or Bradley. And then all of a sudden he says, you know what? We're not likely to sign any of those big names now anyway. And I just wonder... If it's because nobody came calling to remove that Porcello deal to kind of clear room for one of those relievers or whatever, or even Bradley, because I mean he, he, I think he made like eight million last year. He's probably going to make ten or twelve this year. 
So it just seemed like he was trying to take out one of those players to to make room, and it didn't happen. And so now there's no serious talk at all about bringing in anyone. Adam Ottavino was another name that uh, was um, mentioned with the Red Sox throughout the week. But um, last I knew, he, the White Sox were the were the front runners for him. So tough to tough to read into these signals, but. Um, Still, you know, still a few weeks left to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just since Jeremy touched on uh, the sales situation, I guess we can kind of, you know, go on to him right now. But, uh, I mean, as far as sale, I mean, it seems like as, as far as Jeremy was just saying, you know, he doesn't feel it, and neither do I. Like, sale is, you know, like sale is completely healthy. He's going to end up breaking down, you know, at some point you know, in the season. And I think that's how you feel uh, as well, Terry, but I'm not totally sure. What are, what are your thoughts on sale going into this season? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I joined the, the no on sale party really early. Um, the one thing Red Sox fans will never be able to do is just accept the fact that we traded for a guy who was one of the best in the league, and we ended up winning the World Series. And as that was going on, he was breaking down, and they can't just be happy with, you know, just moving on from him, knowing that we achieved our goal and we got what we wanted. And, you know, they fall in love. And, you know, we were kind of talking about it with Bradley, but it's it's the same thing times 100 with Chris Sale. There are still people out there that think Dustin Pedroia can be <laughs> one of the best second basemen in, in MLB. And I, I just, I don't see it. And since Sale went on the DL last year, there's just been nothing but mystery as to why, as to the chain of events that have gone on with him getting called back up from the DL, going back on the DL. He had a weird hospital stay immediately after starting game one of the ALDS against the Yankees. And I just, if he goes, if he can't give us a full season, and I don't know why he would, I, I'm just, I want no part of him. And the thing that's equally concerning is the fact that they're choosing not to disclose what his issue was. They, they do say that his MRI shows no structural damage, but when, you, when the beat writers were pressing them to reveal exactly what the issue was, Dombrowski would just say, well, we have a pulse on it, but... It's it's a medical issue. It's a private matter, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to disclose it. Why wouldn't you? Because if he starts having issues again, what are we to think? I mean, it's just. But but at the same time, I mean, obviously, clearly they don't care what fans think, and they're just you know using strategy, you know, with that. I I remember I don't remember what year it was. 
Ah, damn it. I'm bringing up something that I don't clearly remember. That's really a bad thing for me to do. But uh, the Reds uh, had a catcher. What the heck was his name? Ah, damn it. I can't remember now. But I remember their manager being like, why are we going to tell you if he's injured? That's totally (laughs) like giving away our strategy with it. Uh, God, I can't remember his name now. But it, it's, I mean, it has to be similar. Like, they, they obviously have no obligation, you know, to the fans. And why would they want anybody else to know that he's injured? You know, I, you know, as far as that's concerned. It's painfully, but, uh, but, it's painfully obvious, though. I mean, his velocity was dropping, you know, throughout the season. Oh, it, agreed. It dropped, like, two to three miles an hour at least. He couldn't locate his fastball at all throughout the playoffs. He was reliant heavily on his slider you know there's just and i'm gonna keep harping on this all season long you know at least until the opening day where we might not have the luxury of a huge lead again and the yankees aren't blowing anyone away right now either i mean they added paxton they just signed uh hap yesterday to a a two-year deal with a vesting option for a third and it's basically the same rotation that they had the second half plus Paxton. So I'm not overly concerned that it's not going to be a competitive race because, you know, I think the Red Sox will be in it, but we're not going to have that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 game lead, I don't think. And so the scrutiny is just going to be way higher on on Chris Sale, and I just hope the Red Sox aren't stupid and lock him up to – I don't even know what's realistic right now if they're thinking a six-year deal because the guy's 30. I mean, Price got seven years at age 30. So I, I don't know if a six-year deal is realistic, if it's a four-year deal. I'm just really sketched out, you know, with – what could happen if if we lock him up long term? Could could I chime in here? Absolutely. And unlike Terry, I will not attack Red Sox Nation um, <laughs> with with certain commentary about lumping everyone into thinking that they should sign sale to a seventeen year deal. Um, six years, get the hell out of here. Five years, get the hell out of here. Um, and the other thing, just as like an opening comment on this. <clears throat> There's legitimately no reason to rush this. Like, he's coming off an injury-plagued season. He's not having surgery. Like, go see what he looks like coming out in, into the into March and April, and then sign him. There's, not, there, there's nothing that says if you don't sign him now, you're out. Well, like, until September, you know, when he does well, that, struggle. Terry. <laughs> Terry, but... But but the flip side is if he dominates, then then you've eliminated yourself. So there's 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 both sides of the coin. Like if he goes out and goes sub two, two hundred innings, two eighty strikeouts, he's gonna price himself out. So it, you know it's it's a catch twenty two. I mean you have to look at both sides of the coin and you have to assess the risk and then make your decision. And to me, I'm all aboard the Chris Sale train for two to three years. I love the vesting option. I love the vesting option because the vesting option sits out there and keeps people motivated. But let's say it's, let's say it's a three year deal. And even if it's like, you know, three years, $75 million, 25 million or, or three years, 
ninety million dollars. Like that's Chris Sale's an elite guy. Like that's you know. And if it's short money, if he does get hurt and you lose the last year of the deal, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you have to overpay for the top tier guys. Um, so I, I, I'm, I am in on signing Chris Sale. I'm out on signing Chris Sale to anything over. Like if this ends up being four years, like it just makes no sense. Because by the way, everyone in Major League Baseball – and I'm not Major League Baseball, but I've been saying it as well, has said, like, here's this frail, skinny, non-muscular guy who creates all this torque because his plant leg is in the first pace dugout, and then he's got a whip across, so it creates problems for his lower half, for his oblique, for his shoulder, for his elbow. His Mechanically, he's a disaster zone. This guy's not going to be pitching when he's 40 years old. He's not going to be Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin. He's not going to be CC Sabathia. He's not. So, you know, I think he'll be motivated, and I think he'll pitch as often as he possibly can because it's going to be a contract year. But it, and again, I'm not going to attack Red Sox Nation like somebody on this podcast. But I just I would I would cautiously dispel Red Sox fans of any idea that this guy's worth anything more than a three year deal. He has red flags all over him. But does the big question now is would he sign for it when everybody else his age is getting six and seven year deals? I don't think he takes three years. I don't think his agent would allow that. <sighs> That's a good question, Terry. Um, look, and I'm in the legal profession and, you know, I, I always balk at the agent's going to make the decision because that's just not how it works. It's a common misnomer. Um, ultimately the client, or in this case, the athlete has the ultimate say Veritech was fame, um, was famous on his last year. Um, cause I think he was actually represented by Boris and he, he went into the media and was like, I instructed Scott Boris or whoever his athlete was. Terry's probably all excited cause I might've got the information wrong. So he's all perked up over there. But, um, he famously was like, I want the best deal from the Red Sox. I want to get paid fairly, but I'm coming back. And I remember go- listening to that comment and being like, Oh my God, that he just cut the, the legs out from underneath his representation. But that's what he wanted, and he's the client slash athlete, and he, and ultimately he did get that. So if these guys want to come back, they can come back. It doesn't have to be at top dollar, but most of the time it is. And I think with Sale, because he's been relatively underpaid by his ability, I mean this contract that he's on now is so ridiculously team-friendly. It's not even close. Like he's not being paid as a top six pitcher, top, you know, after maybe Kershaw, the the best left-handed pitcher in baseball, he's not being paid like that. So, would you blame him if he wanted to have one big deal? I, I wouldn't. No, I I think he he is gonna, you know, he he is gonna want what his market value is or, or close to it. And you you were right on the Veritech thing. And the interesting thing about that was Scott Boris got so mad that. Veritech wouldn't take the highest offer 
that Voris didn't even come to his press conference. He skipped it. And but the difference is is Veritek and and like most catchers, he wasn't like a an A list free agent. You know, those top guys are, are always gonna take the biggest deal. I can't think of one that that really didn't, but you, you have a guy like Veritek. Yeah, he took less money to, to play where he wanted to play. Mitch Moreland did it a couple years ago. The Cleveland Indians offered him more than the Red Sox did, but he, he chose the Red Sox because he wanted to play 81 games a year at Fenway Park, he said. So those guys might might take a, a slight discount, but you know, in the end, I just... I'd be shocked. And he did say he is open to an extension. And, uh, I mean, he, he didn't say a discount, but he said he, he's open to doing it early. And I think the reason why is the same reason Pedroia was willing to do it. Because he knows if he doesn't, he might not get his money. And because my biggest fear with Chris Sale is exactly what happened to Justin Masterson. Masterson, after he was supposed to hit free agency after 2014, and it was expected, you know, a year or two in advance of that, he was going to get a decent contract, but he started having shoulder issues. So then he ends up signing that one-year deal with the Red Sox to kind of rebuild his value. And he was DFA'd by May or June and has not pitched in Major League Baseball ever since. And he he doesn't have the same delivery as Chris Sale, but it, it is kind of a funky delivery. And, um, you know, he had shoulder issues. And maybe, maybe that's the track Chris Sale is on. He's at about the same exact age Masterson was when he started having those issues. So... I'd rather wait a little bit longer on this one than doing it in in you know May or June when he's absolutely tearing it up and you know but who knows and I just don't the the other thing here too that needs to be mentioned is Dave Dombrowski isn't he doesn't build organizations he doesn't build strong farm systems he he decimates them and and deals them to build you know to get pieces for his major league roster and he's now in the position where he has to be a builder <laughs> and because he just put together a world series team he's going to have he's going to be the guy that does it now you know i if we didn't win the world series i would probably have been sitting here right now saying this is probably his last year as the president and GM. And with all these contracts coming up, they're going to bring in some nerd, you know, a Mike Hazen, Ben Sherrington type guy that could build a farm system, build a team. And, you know, and then we start setting up for the next window. But but we won the World Series and Dombrowski is, is here for uh, probably the next several years. And... and I don't know. I just, I don't want him to do anything stupid. I'm already not crazy about the Evaldi deal. And, you know, and if you put Sale in long term, that's two guys. Who knows? They got injury issues. And, you know, I I hate to. 
I, I hear you, dude. I really do. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm just not going to take a strong stance on every single potential risky signing. And like, I know your mindset. We've been doing this long enough together that I know your mindset. Your mindset is always like glass half empty. You know, so I, I 100% get it. With Sale, and, I, I, and I'm just going to skip the Evaldi stuff because we've kind of beat it like a dead horse. And if someone hasn't heard it after you're done with this podcast, go to last week's Wednesday podcast and, and hear our thoughts on it. So I just will skip that for now. We're not talking about Justin Masterson. <laughs> and like and I know who Justin Masterson is, right? Like funky right-handed delivery, big-bodied guy. He was a fastball slider guy and he he went I think to Cleveland and just never reached what everyone thought was his potential. That's not Chris Sale. Chris Sale is potentially the best left-handed pitcher in baseball. And I get it. There's risk. And I acknowledge the risk, and I've already said, if, you, if you're if you on a six-year deal, have it be the Yankees because I would love for them to have to pay Chris Sale for six years. I would deal with one or two years of Chris Sale beating us for four years of an eyesore contract on that deplorable douchebag franchise. But he's Chris Sale. If you can get him for three years, you're out of your fucking mind not to do it, assuming some level of health. I just don't like, think we can. I, I, that's, I, 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 at this I, day and, and time, that's that. not realistic to me. I, well, I don't know if that's the case because there is the health concerns are real enough and the bad mechanics are real enough. Where And, and look, no one, under, no one appreciates the fact that there's always one fr- – it all it takes is one franchise, right? So athletes, the, you know – when you're looking at athletes and it's like, well, this guy's only worth two years and 15 million, but it only takes one franchise to pay the guy 40 million. So I get it. And that's really obviously a possibility because Chris sales upsize upside is that high, but it's going to take a really bad franchise to do it because this guy clearly has enough red flags. And do I think he's going to be a Red Sox beyond 2019 no i don't if i had to bet one way or the other um i would bet that he's not a red Sox. but i don't discount the fact that especially if he's not like 100 percent healthy but yet he's effective in 2019 that there's some deal that can be struck that you know creates protection for both the athlete and the and the player and so I'm agreeing with you, but I'm not taking such a hard stance. Like I don't want to sign Chris Sale. He's fucking Chris Sale, dude. He's yeah. dominant. He's. I mean, I you can call me a glass half empty guy. I mean, that's fair. You know, my shtick tends to be negative, but three seasons in a row, he he's been absolutely shit the last couple of months of the season, including his last year with the White Sox. And I just, that's, I, I have to be extremely concerned about that. And right now, I'm a Madison Bumgarner guy. He's the guy I want. And maybe he's going to be the guy I'm going to be harping on, you know, throughout the summer. If, if it's even possible to get a guy like that, you know, because it, it could be costly. But, but he's a guy that I, I trust his health a little bit more. And, you know, and there could be other options. There could be like this genius move that happens that's not on anybody's radar. And, 
It could work out brilliantly. You know the guy. Uh, you're look, I, and I like Madison Bumgarner, right? But the guy I like is and Liz. Let's bring you back into the conversation. <laughs> uh, oh, she's still here. Have a left-handed. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Hey, devil, I'm, just been, I'm soaking it in. I'm soaking it the in. The Devil Rays have a Cy Young Award winner that oh, Lord, wouldn't, would, no. wouldn't bother me if he ended up being a Red Sox. Oh, that guy please, is awesome. Please no. Please no. No, I mean, to, to touch on Salem, please don't take Snell. I mean, Snell will inevitably, excuse me, I can't even talk, end up not being a Ray, like, at some point, but um, clearly. But, but uh I mean, just to touch on sale, like when we were talking about, you know, trades, I don't even remember what show that was. If it was last show, show before last that I was on, I don't remember. But I mean, I was all about, you know, in a way, like, I hate to use the word dumping, but dumping sale in a way, just finding someone or finding a team that was willing to take him and then going after someone like, like, I, I'm a Kygo fan, like that, that's who I would want to go after personally. Uh, you know, as far as a starter uh, goes, I, I don't dislike Bumgarner, but uh, but I'm a Dallas Dallas Cowboy kind of person. But um, but uh, that that's what I would try try and do, and you know, get just get rid of that salary and get somebody who's going to be more durable over the long term. I mean, but that's just me. But uh, please don't take Blake Snell, please. We need him for just a little bit longer. We just got Charlie Morton. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, I feel like we paid not raise money for him, and all he's going to be is a bargaining chip for the middle of the season or uh, definitely next year's winter meetings. Uh, that's what we use him for because uh, two years, $30 million or whatever it was, that's definitely not a uh, normal situation for us. But um who knows? That team That team is so confusing to me. I, I can't even – I've said it multiple times. I, I don't even begin to guess what's going on in their front office. They, so uh, th- this seems like an appropriate time for me to do my, my – uh, <laughs> Your double ring taping right My weekly <laughs> podcast like Sports Illustrated used to do like uh, this week's sign that the apocalypse is upon us and it was some like – you know, ridiculous statement of what happened. So this week in the double razor, a fucking joke, uh, which I'd like to maybe, maybe I'll even. Maybe I'll put that on a t-shirt, but this week sign that the double razor, a fucking joke, right? They somehow have botched the stadium thing so fucking bad that now they are indebted to the city of Tampa till 2027 at Tropicana Field. <laughs> I'm like, no. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, no. they can't get out of their own way. It's a fucking joke. Like, they, they, they are obviously handicapped by their demographics where they are, their stadium. It's the worst stadium in American professional sports. The, <laughs> I mean, they have to stay there till 2027 now. Uh, Liz, uh, like, maybe we should have a moment of silence out, out of, like, respect for you. But this, I'm sorry, this is beyond a joke. It's beyond a joke. It, like, I don't even know what to say. First of all, you really think the trap is worse than the Coliseum? Which is also, I mean, they're looking for a new stadium, too or to at least like revamp their current stadium like severely but but i mean 
they were they were indebted to St. Pete, not Tampa, not that there's much difference to most people outside of Tampa Bay, but they were indebted to them from the jump until 2027 no matter what. I mean, I don't know, I don't know anything really. I can't pretend to know about contracts uh with stadiums and cities and all that kind of stuff, but to me that seems like insanely long uh you know to sign and co- and commit to a space like that. Uh, particularly, you know, this day and age when it's newer, better, bigger, you know, that kind of thing, or at least newer, you know, if nothing else. But, um, but I mean, to me, to a fan like me, I'm very practical. I mean, I hope I've, I've put that forth. I mean, I love them. I I think for the most part, I, I always will. I can't imagine something that's going to make me not be a fan, but, um, this, this was never going to happen from the get-go. I feel like they dangle these stadium plans in front of fans and in front of the media just to keep people like a little interested like they're going to stay here. Uh, and, and the front office and Sternberg keep saying they see a future in Tampa. I, I don't feel like that's the truth at all. I mean, this is, I think, the third stadium plan that I've seen. I've seen uh, one uh, that was basically like just over the bridge that was completely stupid like basically in the middle of a of a residential area i'm like that makes no sense i've seen one uh that was right downtown the the rays you you guys i don't know if you heard or not they they bought a minor league soccer team in town and uh they play soccer at a small uh, minor league stadium where the rays actually used to do uh spring training sounds like another sounds like another sound financial decision by the double yeah I don't know why they did that, but but whatever they bought that stadium, but but uh, or they bought that team, that franchise. But um, a couple years ago, they had a really like random plan for an awesome stadium down there. Horrible idea, bad for traffic, just would not have handled it well. Of course, it didn't happen. And then now they roll out this monstrosity, which is which is beautiful. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, if it were to come to life at some point, it would be amazing. But I saw this, and I actually uh, – I really try hard not to distract myself too hard at work for things that uh, aren't work-related. But um, I watched the press conference, and all I could do is think of, why are you guys per- doing this dog and pony show right now for something that you clearly don't have money for? They kept saying, oh, we're talking to corporate partners. We're doing this and that. And they – whether they were or not, they – they knew. I feel like everybody knew they weren't going to have that money, except for they didn't want to admit it, you know. And that's what Manfred totally like ripped him a new one for to win her meetings, which is what made us look like. I feel like that's what made us look like a joke, not like trying it and putting it out there, but more so that the commissioner like basically said, "Hey, you guys have no plan. You're obviously just dangling a carrot on a string, you like for whatever reason you're doing it." And you need to either get the money or stop. And literally that day, you know, Sternberg said, okay, we're going to stop. In fact, I still get the uh, media emails from the Rays because I guess they just don't ever remove someone from their media emails. And I saw that uh, Sternberg was having a press conference. And at the time, I didn't know about what. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, God, here we go. And, um, I mean, it's not impossible that, you know, obviously something could still happen and they could work something out with St. Pete. And I don't know, probably stay in St. Pete, just not at the trap. But uh, I, I just I don't see this team staying staying in the area and, and whatever it takes to move them. I don't know if they're going to go to everybody keeps saying Montreal. I have no idea, but it's just they 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 are not going to succeed 
you know, in this area and getting a stadium. It's just uh, that that's probably the most negative thing that uh, that I am with them. Like uh, they can do whatever they want with the team, the team itself, the players. You know, I'll I'll trust their judgment at least to some degree. But this whole stadium thing is just it's driving me insane. But it sounds like one of the best things that could possibly happen before the stadium gets dealt with is maybe maybe new ownership, really. I mean, I don't know if in basketball we saw it with uh, Donald Sterling that he you know, but that was a whole the reasoning was was different, but. But, uh, you know, the, the league did force him to sell the team. You know, I think that was the Clippers. And and then, yeah. so I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what Manfred's, you know, how far his authority goes. But it, it sounds like they very much do have a, a half-ass owner that doesn't really, you know, put as much time and effort into – dealing with all of those logistics. And then you've mentioned before, Liz, I think he's a, a season tickets holder for the Mets. For the Mets. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's a little weird. And Well, you know, well and, and I know I, I brought up before, just to mention ownership, uh, that, that I feel like they need an owner that's going to be committed to the area. And you guys were like, well, that's not 100% necessary, but maybe not in every market, definitely not in Boston or, or any kind of big market like that. But I feel like I feel like that's the only way. Like, if they could force him to sell, which I seriously doubt that'll... Well, they, I don't know about the forcing to sell. If he chooses to sell, um, I doubt it'll happen. But if he does, and then somebody comes in and they can endear themselves to the public, you know... Uh, then, you know, then they're definitely going to be a lot more likely to get that public money because Sternberg isn't going to front. I, I uh, put a plan out there for a GoFundMe. It's kind of crazy, stupid. But they were going to have to at least put up 50% or say that, you know, before they were going to, you know, garner enough support, you know, from, from commissioners, from, the, from, from anybody, from anybody for that stadium. But this, this, uh, ownership over and over has done nothing but crap all over the fans and show that they don't necessarily care about the area. So, you know, why, why is any gonna, anybody going to want to support them? You know, we've, I feel like we've got a nice little hardcore group of fans, you know, that are always gonna, you know, pay attention, but what does that amount to every game? You know, 10, 12,000, you know, it, it just, it, it almost makes it worse. <laughs> so, but, but definitely new ownership would help. You know, I, I wish, you know, that's on my wish list. Uh, for Santa Claus, I guess this Christmas, but uh, I seriously doubt that's going to happen. I'd also like to add one thing. Um, you know, Jeremy, obviously, you know, which is fair, and I'm not being critical of it, but you know, Jeremy, you know, there's a special place in in his heart for the team he calls the Devil Rays. I I kind of like to separate the front office. You know the the executives that deal with the actual operations of the team. I like to separate them from the owner. You know, and I think they do very well with the situation that they have. And I think this Charlie Morton thing is going to work out very well. And hopefully they they fit him into the opener strategy. I, I did see 
uh, an article uh, in the last few days that says Snell and Glass now will will basically be conventional starters, but with Charlie Morton being you know 35 years old, still pitching very well at this point in his career. I just feel like if he's coming in in the second or third inning, he'll go till at least the sixth or the seventh and really kind of keep you guys in those games. And you got Yandy Diaz today from the Indians. That was just one small part of that deal. You lost uh, uh, Jake Bowers, which I'll, I'll let you weigh in on that in a second because I really don't know if that's a good or a bad thing because I, I I feel like he he has tremendous upside but um, but you're making a lot of moves and you also got Fam from the um, Cardinals last year so he'll be a very productive uh, outfield uh, power bat for you guys and um, I just think I think you guys are going to be a pain in our ass and I just. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I think the the Rays could easily win 90 games again. And <laughs> if they if they can win 96, 97, I don't know if that's going to be good enough for the division. It shouldn't be. Like, I feel like the Red Sox or the Yankees should win this division. But strange things have happened. And, and you know, I, you know, I... I I can't root for them, but but yeah. I can appreciate but what they're doing. Yeah, it's they're a hard team to hate, like as far as that's concerned, because they they do a lot with with very little. They always have, but um, but the sad thing is, is I really don't know that wins, you know, matter to the community, you know, as far as attendance goes, if that if that matters at all, or getting getting the support they need for this stadium that the MLB is saying they want them to have, you know, um, I, I don't know that winning is going to matter now. What, what that means to them staying here, if it, yeah, I, I don't know, but, um, but I trust, you know, I, like you're saying, I, I kind of separate the front office and the ownership too, but as far as the decisions that the ownership is making as far as the area and just the vibe and energy that, that they have here, I, I just don't know that it's fixable, you know, right now and that they're going to get what they need, you know, from us either, um, you know, stadium-wise or attendance-wise, you know, for us to have any long-term viability here, and which is really sad. I, I'd like to see them stay. Um, as far as Bowers, you know, leaving, I mean, he – to look at him on on paper, like he, uh, I mean, I saw, I think I saw his his uh, batting average was just a little over 200, but um, but he was definitely a big part, you know, of what we were able to do, uh, you know, this season, which is something that no one thought we would do, including myself, you know, the the 90 wins and and everything with I think a pretty much all rookie infield uh, was just uh, ridiculous. And uh, so I was sad to see him go because I feel like, you know, that he was uh, a big part of that. But uh, but I did look at, at um, Diaz's numbers. And even though he didn't play many games, I feel like he could he could easily, you know, fill that fill that void. Now, whether or not uh, he could do it, I will. Sorry, let me back up. So I was listening to uh, an interview. I forget even who was giving it. That's so bad. But um, but they were saying they feel like he could produce, you know, over time. 
you know, more so, uh, you know, than, um, not more so than Bowers, but in a similar way, I guess, but be more versatile. They liked his versatility versus Bowers. So, um, so, so we'll see. I mean, he's definitely a bigger guy who can probably hit for more power than Bowers, where he, uh, Bowers being, uh, you know, kind of a, a smaller, smaller guy, you know, he's probably more of a small ball hitter. Maybe they're looking for more, more slugging percentage. I don't know. But um, but it'll be interesting. I mean that that's all I can really ever say. You know when it comes down to these things is, you know they trade away pieces that that I think are important and I love, and then their their decisions work out. Um, but I also saw something where um, the Mariners may be working out another deal where we get Encarnacion, which is where I thought Encarnacion would kind of land anyway. Uh, just because, you know, like Jeremy's pointed out before, we uh, the Rays have a tendency to pick up guys that are just a little bit beyond their prime. And uh, and it would be easy for Encarnacion to maybe slide into that DH place and then, you know, maybe sometimes play first or, or something along those lines. So, uh, so it'll be an interesting uh, rest of the meetings to see if that happens or not. Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, look, the Devil Rays are like the slow kid. Um, you root for them. Um, they, they don't bother you in any way. Um, and as like a Red Sox fan, generally, like it makes baseball more interesting when they're competitive. The fact that they're now married to this stadium for another, you know, eight years or whatever it's a joke it's an absolute joke um the fact that they can't get the support they need to to field a better team the fact that their ownership won't spend money the whole thing is just a debacle and and i don't want to oversell it and i don't you know you know i mean i'm like clearly on record about the double raise um i mean this is a team that caved to a bunch of nuns who were like, please don't call the devil race the devil race. So they were like, uh, you know, okay, we'll take the, the word devil out of our team name that was based on a fish called the devil race. I mean, the whole thing, I'm sorry, it's laughable. Um, now, with that said, they have a really good manager and they have, like, they make savvy, smart decisions with their player personnel. And to some extent, like, it's amazing how competitive they they are year in and year out but at the end of the day like they just can't be competitive and and their level of success is not defined by division championships or champion like world series championships it's based on competitiveness like we were competitive that's our level of success and you know in boston at least that's not how the fans would like to measure, you know, the success of their respective team, what whatever sport it is. So the fact that the Devil Rays are like, well, we won 82 games or we won 85 games and we were still in it on September 10th. Like, I'm sorry, it's just the wrong, it, to me, it's the wrong metric. The fact that they can't together, can't get together and figure out the stadium is, it's, it's, it, it's too bad. Uh, they're in our division, and it affects the Red Sox negatively because it makes the product watered down. Somehow they they you know they stay competitive, so I I do respect that. But you know otherwise you know I'm kind of you know 
I'm kind of on record on the on the double race. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and they're they're Kevin Cash's devil race or race. Yeah, see, Jeremy's got me doing it now. But it's Kevin Cash's team. It's not Madden's team. It doesn't have that edge, that attitude, you know, that we kind of saw from guys like David Price and, um, you know, Carlos Gomez was, was on that team. And I don't know. It's just it's a more likable team now, I feel like. Those past teams had an edge, but they also had more talent. And that and we had we did a podcast about a month ago on the – the uh, Baseball Writers Association Awards. And we talked, I think we all unanimously agreed that Cash should have been the winner. And, I mean, I I still totally agree with that because those double raid teams, uh, you know, especially when they were making runs at the pennant, they had a ton of talent. Like, all, and of course they didn't sign any of it, so all the talent went elsewhere, but... This team doesn't, except for Snell. Like Snell's legit, and he'll be a Red Sox or a Yankee or an Angel or a Met. Like, I, and I get that. But Longoria is gone. Like, they don't have that same level of talent anymore. The fact that Cash did what he did last year to me is just frankly miraculous, and it's why I thought he was the clear-cut winner to win the Manager of the Year. This this iteration of the Devil Rays. They're not anywhere close. They're just not. Um, they have mediocre talent. Um, they have non-explosive athletes. I mean, <laughs> and I don't want to oversell it because then I look kind of like a douchebag. But um, they just—they're really making the most out of a really subpar roster, and not just like baseball skill-wise, but athleticism. Um, you know, there, there's. There's very little top end talent except for obviously their Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, I mean, or go ahead. Oh no, no, no! I was just gonna say, but the the awesome thing about them is that somehow, some way, at least this year, what what happens or last year, what happens in 2019? Obviously, is is always up in the air. I feel like every year is up in the air. Um, but still they found a way this year and for that, I mean, I, uh, I have to hold out hope and, uh, and I know, and I, and I know like just, just being competitive isn't, isn't something that, uh, you know, the Red Sox do or that any, you know, team that spends a reasonable amount of money, you know, does, but how many teams are out there that, that are, that are kind of in that same boat that there's, there's at at least, I mean, you don't see teams like, I mean, there, there's elite teams for a reason. There's teams that are known for out there, you know, that are known for spending money like that for a reason. There's a lot of teams out there that have that same philosophy and don't do as well as the Rays do, you know? Yeah. Or don't do as well as they did this year. They really, really sucked, like, for th- the first three years or whatever of, of Cash's, uh, you know, tenure. But, um, but I mean, well, look, 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 the Devil Rays are the best of the open quote, you know, small market teams that, you know, close quote, don't have any money, which is, again, like hilariously laughable because 
Major League Baseball is a revenue sharing enterprise, and so they all have money. I mean, it's just, but yet they like teams still claim poor, and the portions of certain fan bases are still stupid enough to believe it. It's just not accurate. Like the money's there, and you know they've they've implemented a. a a low watermark to make teams spend money. And they're talking about raising that money there, that, that low watermark and the rays are, or the double rays are exactly like part of the problem. So look, it is what it is. The last thing I want to mention before we sign off is, um, there's potentially a monumental shift in the way that, that baseball games are broadcast. Um, WEEI, which is the flagship station for the Boston Red Sox and the team that has the um, sole rights to broadcast the Boston Red Sox games, announced in the last few days that they are actually going away from the traditional broadcast, have relieved their primary voice of the Boston Red Sox, which is to me disturbing and wrong and upsetting. And they are going to... Uh, go with what has been identified as a talk show style broadcast of the games. Um, and I don't know that I have any comment yet, really, because obviously I haven't heard what whatever this product is going to be. It's clearly a move um, towards the younger fan base, which I get. Like, you got to draw the younger fan base into the game to keep the game viable and, 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 and to keep, you know, the, the sport healthy. But Either, and, and this is all I'll say about it, unless Terry wants to chime in or, or Liz, if, if the, the Devil Rays have talked about this, I don't, I, I'm not sure, but it's either revolutionary and going to forever change the way baseball games are broadcast across the radio or just monumentally fucking dumb. And I really think it's monumentally fucking dumb. And if you're listening to this podcast and this is the first you've heard of it, Please go Google it and get up to speed because you you are never going to listen to a Boston Red Sox game the same way. I agree wholeheartedly that it's definitely the latter. Um, you know, I love baseball and I want to know what's going on and I want to know what the pitch count was and I want to know what the last pitch was and all the little observations that those guys in the broadcast booth make and I just can't imagine this type of thing is going to be a success and let's face it you know if you listen to I don't you you would have to stream WEI down there but we have it up here in Maine and baseball isn't their sport, you know, outside of the actual game broadcast. It's, it's very much a football basketball uh, station and, and the Red Sox are really the number three. So I think what, what's going to happen if they stubbornly stick to this, they're just going to start mixing in other sports and it's just going to, baseball's just going to go on the back burner. You know, if someone hits a home run, it'll probably get mentioned, you know, as it happens. But I just think it's so dumb. Everybody wants to know what's going on literally play by play. And I just, I I can't imagine it's, it's going to be, um, successful and i have seen other reports throughout the week that the red sox 
ownership and executives aren't thrilled with WEI anyway. You know, they've had a lot of controversies in the last 18 months or so, a lot of them race-related, some of them Minahan-related, and it wouldn't surprise me, I don't know what the legalities are, if another station ends up getting the rights to the games. You know, I I can't imagine the Red Sox are going to be happy with this new format. It's I don't think it's in their best interest. It's not in the best interest of baseball. And <laughs> but like you said, it's just uh, it's going to be historically well, on that, dumb. On that on that latter part, the WEI is empowered by their new deal they just signed last year. So yeah. they, they have the exclusive right for a number of years. I, I, I just I only brought it up, Terry, to to the to bring it up to the listener who hasn't read the update. Like go read the update. This is gonna change the way you consume baseball unless you're one of the very few people that only consume it on television. I'm not that guy. Um I do have to stream it, but I have a serious account and I listen um to these games on Sirius and it's always the the EEI broadcast it's going to forever potentially forever change the way you consume baseball if you're not an exclusive consumer on TV and it just seems so monumentally dumb and WEI is to me a failing radio station that's been completely overtaken by 985 the sports hub and they're they're trying to find ways to become relevant and this is just the wrong way to do it in my opinion. Liz, do you have do you have an opinion and maybe we're catching you by surprise with the concept but you know, do you have an opinion on this? Yeah, you definitely are. I had not heard that, but uh I also am not on the the precipice of all that kind of stuff like you guys are. But um Having not heard it, I don't know if in the the uh, articles or anything that you're referencing, if there's an example of how it would sound or, or what they exactly talk about. But I feel like some like broadcasts, TV broadcasts, um, are kind of turning to a little more talking. But obviously, then you've got the visual. You can see there's numbers there. Uh, is that kind of how it's going to be where maybe they're not calling, you know, uh, balls and strikes so much, but they're just telling you, hey, so-and-so's at bat, and then having a little conversation, maybe thrown in there, like in-between conversation, being like, oh, he's he's out, or oh, this happened, or something like that. Like, as far as a talk show format, like, I don't know how that, how that would work and not completely ignore the game, you know? But, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that's part of the issue. I, I mean, I and, and baseball is a sport of intermittent excitement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, let's say on a, in an average baseball game, there's like 250 pitches, usually somewhere between five and 15 pitches determine the outcome of a game. So if you can imagine you're talking, you know, about whatever the fuck these people are going to talk about, and you hit the home yeah. run that decides the game. It's not going to become in the flow of like a normal play-by-play. It's going to be an interruption of a conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I didn't want to make this be a big topic. And you know, frankly speaking, we've been going for about an hour and forty minutes, so I think we're kind of at the end of the road today. But you know, again, for people that are are hearing this for the first time, look into it. Um, 
I think it's just a monumental mistake. I really do. I think it's a monumental mistake. Yeah, well, what- I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm intrigued, but uh, I just don't know if it'll work without that visual. Like like the TV broadcast, you know, because uh, particularly national broadcasts, you know, they're always bringing in different people in the box and they're talking, but you you have the visual, so it so it works. You're not really missing anything. But when all you're depending on is the audio, you know, uh, how how is it going to work? Unless unless they really are going to have what are they going to talk about? You know, for for three or four hours, like. Are they just going to talk about play? I don't know. There's there's too many questions there for it to make sense to me. But uh, but sorry, Terry, go ahead. <laughs> well, just one question, and we don't have to get too far into it. But Jeremy, because this is kind of your wheelhouse, like, can either side opt out of the contract? Like, can one side terminate it? Yeah, um, I would think that generally speaking, it has to be for for cause it it can't be like an arbitrary decision you know like most contracts like the nfl is a perfect example right like they have this catch-all that's a player personnel like you know if you like the kareem hunt situation in in kansas city you you can't just opt out just because right like it has to be for some some reason that is you know counter to the interests of the league or some co- you know conduct related situation you know WEI changing the format isn't something that I I envision giving rise to that sort of issue so I don't I don't I don't think that you know the Red Sox could opt out of the contract for for something like this well if the ratings crash though that should be somewhat significant that's that's a potential issue but again i i don't i'd be interested to read the contract okay i, you know, I was just and, wondering. I'm, and i'm and i'm a geek and i'm a nerd and all those sorts of things but to me like my initial reaction would be like ratings alone would not be enough okay i, I was just let, wondering. let's not pretend by the way that the red sox may not exert their pressure and their influence on this decision because the decision is just and by the way i'm not discounting that this could be like genius like this could not this may become the next big thing this may be the way that you reach millennials on a sport that is traditionally um you know kind of an older generation fan base so i you know they it could be revolutionary I just don't think that's going to happen. I think right. I think it's going to backfire. And then uh, just one last thing unrelated uh, before we do sign off. Just a quick note. Uh, I did see a tweet and uh, I kind of scanned through an article uh, from Rob Bradford. Joe Kelly was, in fact, offered a contract by the Red Sox. It was only two years and said to be significantly less money. He's making $8 million a year, so I'm going to guess it was probably in the neighborhood of 4 or $5 million. And there was also speculation. He is from Southern California and grew up only a few miles from Dodger Stadium. So that might have been... Uh, you know, at the top of his list for, you know, future destinations. So, um, you know, just, just one thing of note that came out. And I don't, I don't, I don't blame any athlete 
forget the most dollar bills. I really don't. And if it was a two-year, $9 million deal, I mean, could anybody reasonably criticize Joe Kelly for taking three, a three-year, $25 million deal? Like, I'm sorry. I just Good for Joe Kelly. Again, real likable guy. He'll go down in Red Sox history with that playoff performance and some of, and some of those, specifically some of those outings and the strikeouts and couldn't be happier for the guy. Just he's not a fit with this with the Red Sox moving forward. And I think the Red Sox were the smartest party of anyone by not doing anything stupid. I mean, the Dodgers, as we said, could have literally brought in anyone for you know twelve to fourteen million, and they they picked a raging head case. So, but anyway, I, I we won't keep beating that horse. You know, maybe on a future show, but. Um, Good stuff. Uh, I don't know if the meetings are carrying into tomorrow. I thought they were wrapped up today, but um, we'll uh, we'll probably come back Sunday night and uh, uh, do at least one more before the holiday. So uh, thank you guys as always, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Terry. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Well, uh, a lot of ground to, that we ended up covering and a lot of basically predominantly Red Sox stuff. We did kind of get into the Rays uh, a little bit there towards the end uh, because they are a division rival and they did make some moves. So, um, But I uh, hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll uh, be back, like I said, probably Sunday night and... Uh, see if uh, any other developments uh, happened. And, you know, maybe even with Harper Machado, who knows? So still uh, a lot of uh, dominoes yet to fall. So thanks again and uh, have a good rest of your week. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of insanity. I'm told.